Melissa. And I'm Olivia. And we're here to take you back to your, your twilight oh. <laughs> Yep, we're still remote, people. It's not going to get better from here. Uh, <laughs> Who knows? Maybe that one was good at the end. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, thanks for coming back to join us, everybody. We're, uh, we're ready to jump into New Moon. So, listeners, what's up? How are you? How's your quarantine? Let us know. Speaking uh, of, you guys, we have listener emails. <gasps> Should we read them? Yeah, guys, we have two for this time. I've decided that the best human invention of all time, I used to believe that the best human invention was <laughs> um, climate control, such as air conditioning. Uh, but I've changed my mind, and now I think it's fan mail. Best invention. Every that time we get fan mail, we all get so happy. Okay, but that is the most Olivia thing I've ever heard in my life. Because you've <laughs> already had a previous, like, favorite invention. Like, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Mine is right. vaccines. That's <laughs> a great one also. Mine okay. mattresses. Lame. An excellent one. Thank you. <laughs> Olivia, imagine your life without a mattress. Okay, yeah. it would be it would be worse, but it wouldn't be impossible. My life would be nearly impossible without climate control and without vaccines. Um no, so. I can speak from someone who didn't have air conditioning for three years of my life. I definitely lived, but I had it. You did survive. Also, the question isn't what do you think is most necessary to your life? It's just what is your favorite? Best no, I said best, not favorite. Oh. Very different. <laughs> Okay, just kidding. Okay, so our first listener so email. I miss you too. Okay, our first listener email is from Melina. Thank you for writing in, Melina. She says, I'm writing in because I got through every episode of the pod so quickly this week. Oh, thank you Damn. for binge listening. I still can't believe that we are like being binged. Like... Bingeable? I don't know how you can stand to listen to all of our voices for I hours on haven't. end. But I literally haven't. I thank you for it. It's probably because we're to one a of joy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like it's kind of weird to listen to our episodes because <laughs> we live the episode. Like, I, I yeah, go back and listen to the episodes. Um, I do have a deep fear of my recorded voice. So, like, probably Melina doesn't have a deep fear of my recorded voice. Probably not. I mean, she definitely doesn't because she been the episode. <laughs> Okay, so she's all right, like, all right. Continue, continue. She's like, I have so many good things to say, but I don't want to go on and on too long, like Stephanie Meyer with Bella Serial. Great, <gasps> great callback. Great callback. I really enjoyed every episode. It's so fun to listen to all your different perspectives. You have such good senses of humor, and it's balanced really well with criticisms, calling out the problematic parts, and enjoying the romance. I um, like the good sentence, bad sentence, but Melina, you reminded me that I did not pick. <laughs> a good sentence and a bad sentence oh, for this segment so thank you and I feel that uh wait blah 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 I lost my spot I too feel that being way too obsessed with Twilight as a young teenager contributed to my complexes <laughs> later on so <laughs> real Melissa tie-in and Did then she say, um which of us has the best sense of humor Oh my no. god, Melissa why is everything <laughs> a competition because readers Oh, sorry, your listeners. Listeners, please <laughs> never single out any of the three of us for any purpose because it will tear us apart. <laughs> yeah, the, 
it will be the end of this podcast. <laughs> anyway, you guys, Melina has a great idea. She says, I think it would be fun at some point to have an episode on any of your fan theories and headcanons and takes on other stuff within the fandom. Being more into the fandom has been a lot of the fun for me with getting back into Twilight all these years later. Glad I found the show. Hope you're all safe in the midst of the coronavirus situation. Well, what does that mean? That's a great idea. After um, I read that, I went back to the Twilight lexicon and I read so much <gasps> stuff. And it was on. Okay, Real. But like, Stephanie Meyer addressed so many things that we've been talking about. Oh, everything always gets worse. The more the author addresses new information, the worse things get. Did yes. she ever address my Charlie and Esme pairing? What do you mean? It's just like not canon. What about it? I don't know. It just seemed like something that would be worth talking about. It's like whether it would happen or not. You're the one yeah. who spent years on the lexicon, <laughs> Melissa. You're the one out of the three of us who would know this. I mean, all she really says is that like Esme and Carlisle are like true deep soulmates. Right? Yeah, they're all fucking deep soulmates. You Whatever. can't undo that. Yeah. You can undo anything. I mean, she wouldn't though. Right. Yeah. What would be the purpose of her undoing it? Although For she Charlie. did say a lot of interesting stuff about <laughs> about Esme that as we discuss, I feel like I'm going to have opportunities to bring my new knowledge in. So, That's great. Excited. Um, we, have been, we have been wanting to do more fandomy discussions on our mini-sodes, which have recently dropped off. So we will be back. We'll figure some stuff out. That's right. I have... I don't know, unexplored depths to this. Yeah, I really Every time think we you talk do. about it, I remember something else that is really embarrassing, and I wonder if I should bring it up. Yes, um, so... the answer is always yes. Yet I always pause. Oh my god. It's really amazing, like, how many Twilight memories I have that we haven't even touched on yet. I don't yeah, even gotta, know what we haven't touched on. You gotta on. dig those out. I think we need some more, like, fandom-related minisodes. Okay, we're going to start it. doing that. Thank you, Melina. Homework. Our next listener email is from Bridget. Bridget! Sub- subject line is, love it. Hi, Bridget. my name is Bridget, and I discovered your podcast through the Twilight Renaissance of Tumblr. What a you're, glorious time. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to claim credit for the Tumblr right now. Let's be honest. Sure, that's I put a Olivia. lot of effort into it. <laughs> Great work, you're Olivia. claiming the entire Twilight Renaissance? No, of course not. Oh my god, no. It was on <laughs> Tumblr way before I was. Okay, you guys. This email gets so good. I'm 24 <laughs> and similarly reliving my Twilight phase while stuck in quarantine. I thought just shit posts were enough to get me by, but it has been so funny and relatable listening to you three. It's yeah. perfect because I cannot get myself to read the books again, but the way <laughs> you dive into the chapters is great and brings it all back. That's why I'm here. I'm honored to perform that service for other people. Yeah. Watching <laughs> someone lay it out like, whoa, no way I could ever do that. But really glad for you guys. Made me laugh really hard. So thank you, Bridget. Thank you, Bridget and Melina for writing in. Really is making my quarantine uh, and just really, you know, lifts our hearts and makes us really happy. So thank yeah. you to all of our listeners who write in. Yeah. And also for all of you who listen. And don't have anything to say to us. We're also glad you're here. Yeah. And they all you... probably have opinions, though, about who's the funniest one. Please don't tell us. They probably do, and they have, you know, the foresight to know that they should not <laughs> tell us. 
I mean, can we just sort of like say though that everyone probably thinks that I'm the best and therefore nope. that's just the general yes. opinion. I think, Melissa, every single person that has <laughs> listened to this podcast and hasn't written in thinks that you're the funniest. You're the clear favorite, writing in. Okay. Okay, great. Thanks. <laughs> we shouldn't feed her ego, Maya. We just encourage it. I need this. Okay. <laughs> Uh, well, I really need to talk about this cover of New Moon. <laughs> Me too. I mean, it's I don't beautiful. get it. Stephanie I think Meyer it's, hates it. I think it's grown on me. I mean, it's aesthetically pleasing. Like, right. it's a very pretty flower. I mean, that's I like get it. That's like 80% of what you need to accomplish with a book two cover. Yeah, listeners, if you don't remember what this cover looks like, it's got the oh, classic right. black background, and it's a red and white flower with a single petal. What flower is like, it? It's like drooped dislodged. down, like it's sort of like pathetic and dying. Like it's bleeding. But in an, in an elegant way. Yeah, it looks sort of blood-like. What, what kind of flower is this? Do we know? I don't know. Stephanie called it a tulip, didn't she? This is not a fucking tulip. What I noted from my Stephanie Meyer research uh, is that she hates this cover because it is meaningless, uh, which, you know, <laughs> well true. spotted, but it's intriguing and it's it goes intriguing. really well with Twilight. Yeah, you know that it's a Twilight book. Listeners, uh, you can go back onto our Instagram or our Twitter to find our group Halloween costume where <laughs> I, Maya, was the new moon flower. Yes, uh, you really killed it too. Uh, you got you. one of those like papery lanterny things. Did you color some of it or did you just like stick a red napkin in the middle of it? It was something great. It was a red lantern and I stuck white oh, tissues white. just like in it. <laughs> so good, so good. I, I mean, I don't, like, love this cover, but I think it's perfectly good. Speaking of covers, I just want to tell everybody that a few nights ago, while I was on my Twilight deep dive, um, I did something truly insane, which is that I learned recently that the hand model who did Twilight, um, she used to, like, see people holding Twilight and, like, introduce herself and sign <gasps> autographs. And she would go to, like, conventions. She used to stand by the checkout register at Barnes & Noble to be what? like, that's me. Yeah. I have a really important question. Yes. Do you know if that photo was taken specifically for Twilight or if it was a stock photo? It was. It was, it taken, was taken specifically oh, yeah, for Twilight. That. Yeah, they found a model and, like, had her come in. Oh, and she used to carry an apple in her purse oh so that God. she could read the pose. And you know while what? I was going down this rabbit hole and truly losing my sanity, I found her Facebook profile and I friended her and today I saw that she added me. <gasps> oh yes. my God! That's literal stalking. That's like true yeah. actual stalking. As soon as I realized that she had friended me, like accepted the request, I was like, what have I done? <laughs> This is yeah. over the line. And I really <laughs> was like, oh no. So I'm never going to message her. I think I should okay, probably just unfriend her. No, no. That's incredible. Now we have to get her on the podcast. I mean, she saw her opportunity and she ran with it. Yeah. Her, if you guys want to follow her on social, her Twitter is at Hands of Twilight. <laughs> uh, that was going to be weird, but. It's not because her handle is still Twilight related. 
Yeah, I mean, it. Do- it's not like a super active account. And she used to have a website called Hands of Twilight that is now defunct. But oh I went God. on the way back machine to see how it looked in like 2015. The way back machine. And okay, so it. It was a, it was pretty spirally. I'm really exposing myself right now. I'm sorry, well, everybody. Can you for send me talking. screenshots? And I'll like I don't know. I'll post them or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not gonna send you screenshots of her Facebook page, <laughs> which is pretty like divorced from Twilight as it turns out. But I can totally send you like her Twitter. <laughs> okay, great. Well, luckily, New Moon has no human element, and so there is only this one woman. Actually, she is the only human element on any any cover. So she really does have, like, a niche market there. Okay, here's another thing I learned, actually, is that at one point, she did do a photo shoot of her (gasps) holding some kind of flower. um, But ultimately, they decided they didn't didn't want the hand. They just wanted the flower. Wow. I think that was a good move on their That's a harsh blow. It is a harsh yeah. blow for Hands of Twilight Woman. I mean, she'd have to like rename all her stuff: Hands of Twilight and New Moon, Hands of the Twilight Saga. It's too too much fame. How do you become a hand model? Um, it's called parts modeling, and <gasps> she just kind of fell into it. Um, someone that she knew was like, "You should take this adult education class." And she did. It cost her like $40, if I remember correctly, way back in the day. (laughs) Can't believe you had an actual answer to this question. I read a bunch of interviews. (laughs) This reminds me of that episode of Friends where Joey finds his hand twin. Yes. And I don't know. What if if Hands of Twilight has a hand twin out there somewhere? Okay, I'm going to say it. They're very generic hands. <laughs> yeah, they are. I mean, they're perfectly don't serviceable want, hands. You probably don't want distinctive hands if you're like a hand That's model. True. You want to be any hand. Like Bella could be like any character, <laughs> any girl, they say. <laughs> exactly. You're right. Um, okay, so that's the cover. Um, the back looks very much like the Twilight paperback back covers. And we do have another... Um, instead of like a summary we just have an excerpt from the inside which i think uh, we should read. Like hear it i would like to hear it because i don't have the book i have an ebook <laughs> yay quarantine i knew we were both in mortal danger still in that instant i felt well whole i could feel my heart racing in my chest the blood pulsing hot and fast through my veins again my lungs filled deep with the sweet scent that came off his skin It was like there had never been any hole in my chest. I was perfect, not healed, but as if there had never been a wound in the first place. Legions of readers are hungry for more. Give in to temptation, dot, dot, dot. Should they have said thirsty for more? (gasps) You're right, they should have. I mean, this quote kind of encompasses all of my negative feelings that I had toward New Moon when I did my, you know, 180 flip. That was right after New Moon? It was, yeah, it was after New Moon. Um, I can't say it was, like, right after. It was probably, like, in the year following as we're, like, you know, waiting for Eclipse and just generally digesting it. But, like, I don't know. The whole 
aspect of this book is right that like Bella was you know hurt by this boy leaving and then by the end of the book when you know they get back together she's like perfect and healed again and I do remember as a young person even then as a very dramatic um hardcore uh fan of this series being like that's a little fucked up (laughs) it is pretty gross that she's presented as like less of a person there's a part of her missing with this man gone and when they're reunited like she gets that piece back without him even like wanting to be with her it's just like she's around him and suddenly she's whole again it's kind of gross right and we get right into it from the beginning i feel like yeah it starts immediately um but i do think right when i was like i'll reread twilight like my problem was never really with twilight my problem always started like book two so yeah i do remember i was always the most into the first book also like i reread twilight a lot and i don't remember how if, if i even read new moon more than once or twice i don't really remember i read it twice yeah right but twilight innumerable times yeah. I definitely reread The End of New Moon many oh, times. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Specifically, yes. The end I read so many times. You read the beginning, skip all skip. that Jacob stuff. Skip it. <laughs> you skip right over it. Yeah. Poor Jacob. Jacob is like most himself in this book. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, it's a shame. But obviously, you still want to get to the Edward part. I know. I was like that too. I think that the. The, like, quote on the back of New Moon doesn't do as good of a job, like, getting you as excited to read because instead of, like, setting up attention, it's resolving attention. That's so Mm -hmm. true. But also, I am not reading the back of New Moon to figure out if I'm reading it or not. That's true. Also true. Right. I guess you kind of assume that the reader picking up this book probably knows that this is about edward even though it doesn't say right. anybody's name in it uh, i wish and... i had my hardcover yeah I to the OG hardcover, hardcover. I, would, I would be very interested to see what the back of that is yeah stephanie did do some of that like book two recap stuff in the mm-hmm. first chapter yeah but not like a ton she did do quite a bit though kind of a surprising amount i did want to talk about that but there's things before the first chapter It's true. We have a really great epigraph, which I will read. From guess what? The book. Tell me what. The book that is repeated innumerable times in the first (laughs) chapter. (laughs) It's true. Whatever. Uh, It goes, these violent delights have violent ends and in their triumph die like fire and powder, which as they kiss consume. Romeo and Juliet, act two, scene six so good it is amazing it's very good i would appreciate it more if we weren't beat over the head with romeo and juliet in the first chapter well it works as an epigraph separately and then right it's the first chapter that kills it again (laughs) overworking once again she picks a great colonel right and then throws it at you repeatedly until you don't like it anymore and exactly. it hurts. Like <laughs> it hurts that, bad. I, the epigraph did its job. I understand the illusions that you're making here. Right. You and do not need stop. to. 
explicitly say it multiple times. The preface also, I sort of, it does the same thing that the preface does in Twilight, which is give you a little hint of the final climactic scene. Um, Which I do remember thanking this preface um, because, right, you get to the part where, I don't know, Edward's just not there anymore and you're like, what the fuck? I refuse to participate in this. And then I remembered the preface where I was like, oh, yeah, she like she at least converses with Alice at some point. And (laughs) and like we assume that that's who she's seeing. And so honestly, actually, you guys, I think I'm making another connection here to a habit of mine that (laughs) I'm now pointing back to Twilight and that I read the ends of books first, like a lot of the time. And I'm now realizing that maybe Twilight ruined that for me by putting these preface prologues that like tell it got you, you used happening. to knowing, right? Like I was like, oh, it's fine. Like, yeah, Edward's gone now, but like I know he's gonna come back at some point. Well, sometimes you need to know. I just watched Parasite for the first time, and it was very upsetting. And I had to look up the ending. Which... I always, I always have to look at the ending. Yeah, I'm I felt extremely anti spoiler, so I couldn't decide if like it should be more obvious that it's Edward who's in danger, or if that kind of like spoils the end too much. I know Melissa, as you just said, you'd like to know what's coming at the end a little bit. Yeah, I feel like, like that spoils it too much because we spend so much of the book watching her build this relationship with Jacob. Right. That I think it's nice to have like a little bit a little of like what could okay, it be about. True. But I already know that team me, like, having gotten to the part where Edward left and he was just gone, and I was supposed to read an entire, like, how many page book is this? Like, 600-page book, not knowing if Edward is ever coming back. I would have been like, fuck no. I guess I I just assumed he was going to be back. I reached a point in the middle where I was like, it's been so long without him and there's so much left that I did skip to the end until I saw a speech tag that said like yes. Edward's bed and then I was like okay I, I know he's coming back and then <laughs> I went back I to where I was that's literally what I do for all books I'm like oh okay I know that these characters are still around so it's like ultimately something that I'll like interesting so let's talk about the preface I think overall it is extremely tense and exciting and effective but the certain sentences like kind of fall apart like the first sentence is i felt like i was trapped in one of those terrifying nightmares the one where you have to run run till your lungs burst but you can't make your body move fast enough i think that's a great opening line but then once you get to the one where you have to run run till your lungs burst it kind of falls apart she just Just did such a good job of conveying this in twilight already um like when she was running to james you know in Arizona like I got that same sort of vibe of like she's trying to run as fast as she can but she like is not capable of it but like here she's doing it again but in a less eloquent way yeah I felt like if she had just stopped after I felt like I was trapped in one of those terrifying nightmares great opener we know that it's not a nightmare because you're saying I felt like Mm -hmm. I it's just a little note but later on, she says Alice had said there was a good chance we would both die here. That's oh, a good addition. So traumatic. Yeah. yeah very okay. For in failing this, I forfeited any desire to live. That's like 
when Bella speaks in like these really heightened dramatic ways, it's so effective and so fun. Oh, yeah. I also want to bring attention to the sentence that comes right before that, where she says, my own life meant little to me today. And I just wrote, it never does. <laughs> I kind today, of really any true. day, especially I kind of like don't love theme. that as a sentiment. No. Oh, we should pause. Like, it's 7 p.m. And it's going to be really loud oh. here. We're back. Listeners, it was 7 o'clock, so we had to take a break uh, for sound reasons. And that's the preface. It's dramatic. Overall, I think it's really good. I was very thankful for it. Well, so then in the first chapter, like Maya said, she does do the book two um, catch up little bits. which called chapter I, one, party. Which I noticed. Um, oh, yeah. So I think they're like fairly efficient. I don't think they're like all totally elegant but it's not too bad she does stuff like uh the kind of blinding clear sun that never shone on my drizzly new hometown in forks washington yeah i Um, found it pretty effective it gives you enough that if you're coming into new moon without having read twilight you have the barest minimum to kind of know what's happening if you're coming in having read twilight a long time ago ago. you're like oh yeah okay okay here we go right yeah yeah but it starts off with a dream but i think it's good it does start with a dream it's very classic twilight having a dream in it um premonition except not one that (laughs) you want this time bella has seen her grandmother there in like a meadow uh, and she's like, I actually knew I was dreaming because, like, Gran's super dead. So, <laughs> and it was, like, kind of funny. But she wakes up and she realized that her grandmother wasn't her grandmother at all. <gasps> it was her. And this she's really, old. She's old and wrinkly. And this really sets up, like, Bella's main insecurity that follows her throughout the rest of the books, which is that she's aging and Edward isn't. We got a little bit of that at the very end of Twilight, but now, like the flower on the cover, it's blossoming. <laughs> it's it's right. in full bloom. So today is Bella's 18th birthday. She's obviously very upset to be 18 because Edward is Wait, 17. We know what the day is, right? It's it's in September, September 13th. September 13th. Right. September oh, right. 13th. We figured out she's a Virgo. She's a classic Virgo. Um, what are Virgos? They're just known to be very sensible, very, like, rational-minded. They're supposed to be very organized. I mean, we don't know what time of the day she was born, um, so we can't really say exactly what the rest of her chart is, which is also very important. But she does exhibit very classic Virgo traits. I want to argue that while everybody tells us that Bella is sensible, we don't really see much of that from <laughs> Bella herself. Well, okay, I might be wrong. Virgo is her sun sign, which yes. is what you portray to the rest of the world, yes. right? Yes. So she okay. portrays herself. Wait, no, rising is what you portray to the rest of the world. Oh, I was wrong. What's your I mean, her rising might also be Virgo. We don't. What's know. your sun? Just like general. Yeah. Overall. Yeah, your son is just your general. I mean, like, it's we- definitely like a part of her personality. Deep down, like I'm sure her moon is not that. 
I mean, she's the one who insists on eating cereal every day and it's like taking know. care of Charlie and not right. complaining about it. There are aspects of her life that are very sensible driven. Yeah. Fair, fair. And you know, she just makes decisions and then never questions them ever again. Right. And maybe yeah. that's like a Sagittarius thing. We can't, we don't know. <laughs> it's super normal. Uh, so she skips breakfast. She's trying to get to school. It's a school day. And I just want to note the line. I honestly tried to be excited about the gifts I'd asked him not to get me. But every time I had to smile, it felt like I might start crying. So this really made me think about so this is in reference to gifts that Charlie has given her. He got her like a camera. Um, and at Renee got her like a scrapbook a scrapbook Scrapbook. um but this really made me think about the fact that we don't get to see edward and bella enjoying each other very much which is really just a bummer no i noticed it immediately and i hated it yeah because we specifically pass over she describes the past as the perfect summer the happiest summer i had ever had the happiest summer anyone anywhere had ever had and I would like to see that. Summer. I want that. Yeah, like I get plot-wise why you skip it in some ways, but you miss out not only on Happy Edward and Bella, but also all of her relationship development with everybody else, like all the Cullens. Right. It just continues the trend of hearing a lot about the Cullens and never actually seeing her relationships with them on the page. I think all of our listeners know what happens next, which is that Edward breaks up with Bella and the whole family leaves. And that moment, I remember reading and feeling so truly crushed, but Mm -hmm. like I could have felt even more crushed. I could have been more crushed. Yeah. If I'd gotten more of that, like Edward and Bella fun time beforehand. That's Mm -hmm. true. I think that would have just hit a little harder. Like all through Twilight too, you you're really only in like the discovery, exciting part of the relationship, which is obviously exciting, but you don't know what they're like day to day. Like yeah, we don't get to see them falling into a routine. No, especially when they don't have any school to deal with, like how Mm -hmm. they spend their time. Right, like does she go over there every day? Does I don't know. I don't know what they do when they hang out. It's important. Yeah. yeah, so we just skip over all that and start on, like, a bummer day. And, like, <laughs> yeah. also Bella being a killjoy. Like, I understand her motivations for not wanting it to be her birthday. But first of all, not wanting to get older when you're only 18 is, like, kind of a, like, bummer, like, sexism-soaked thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no? like, women's value is tied to their youth. Right, like, like and then, like, you know, the first scene is like, oh, I saw my grandmother and thought about being like that. And it was the worst nightmare <laughs> I'd ever had in my life, myself as an old woman. Like, God, get God, some I old hope I women get some respect in this place. Like, <laughs> and I get that, like, it's more than that. It's tied to Edward and not getting to be a vampire, but like, it's all just wrapped up in like that ickiness. But and a then lot she's of the, like, like sexist ideas in Twilight are ones that are like widely held and very insidious. And I oh, feel yeah, like right. when we're thinking about like right. the phenomenon of like Twilight moms, you know, like I feel like a little bit the reason Twilight moms were such a thing is because like 
this spoke to a lot of the gross internalized stuff that really flowers by the time you're like mom age. That's totally and you have, true. You're and like confronted with the youth of your children. Mm-hmm. And totally. even the parental figures in this book, Carlisle and Esme are like fucking 25. Right. <laughs> even younger. Carlisle's so, like, like 23. Yeah. So Which is absurd. Also, you know what I was thinking child. about? So Maya, you always talk about how uh, your brain isn't finished developing until you're 25. And um, (laughs) Bella thinks about how she might be less depressed about getting older if she knew that she was going to be turned into a vampire in, you know, the foreseeable future of her youth. Um, And yeah, like, wouldn't you want as much, like, development of your brain as possible <laughs> for the rest of forever well according to stephanie meyer <laughs> from vampire venom just i did fixes your whole brain and makes it perfect not quite but when edward was changed he was already an adult by the standards of his time period <gasps> and that's why he's so much more mature even though he's in the body of a 17 year old edward is the least mature yeah. person he is i was like, like emo and moody <laughs> and like un- incapable of handling his own emotions I was like, okay, so in between 1918 and 2020, <laughs> brains just stop started developing so much later. Totally come differently. On. Come on. God. So Olivia's right that Bella's a killjoy, but I want to know <laughs> that her being a killjoy is pretty well written. Uh, there's a line, the last thing I wanted was some kind of celebration of the Black event. Yeah. And I thought that was like, really just delightful phrasing what a dark day this is (laughs) i was like god it's like funny if you let it be funny yeah if you think about it too much it's just like god bella calm down when i was like you know 17 and reading this maybe i was like oh bella this really sucks like you're 18 (laughs) i so feel for you this is so dark but like looking at it from the perspective of myself at 26 it's just funny (laughs) okay Um, so they kind of skim over the school day but they note that edward (laughs) has swung it so that he and bella have the same schedule they've also took a lot to describe mike mike had a solid chunk Oh yeah, Mike has a new haircut. <laughs> He's um, also lost some like baby fat. It's not hard to see where he was inspired by, but Edward's look wasn't <laughs> something that could be achieved through imitation. <laughs> like yeah, you have Mike. to uh, be bitten. He so. cannot win. Poor Mike. Also, I just want to say Bella is happy to look down on Mike, but we find out that she has a job where. Newton's Sporting Goods store. She wants to look down on Mike, but the second she needs a job, she's happy to take the hookup. Yeah. Bella. So true. Bella. Also, I noted that, especially, I think, coming right after reading Knife and Knife, especially right after reading Life and Death, um, Alice really wants Bella to come over tonight. Obviously, Alice is super into Bella's birthday and wants to celebrate and make it a whole big thing. And I was thinking, why doesn't Alice know that this is going to be... That's what I'm saying. 
that's my main problem it, here. It has to do. It's got to have to do with like the whole decision aspect. Okay, but here's my argument to that. Say she doesn't know. I mean, obviously, we're just gonna spoil this whole thing because, duh. She doesn't know that Bella is going to give herself a paper cut, and then events transpire from there, and then they end up leaving. If she can't foresee accidents, right, the and unintended that... things, right. then seeing the future based only on people's decisions is completely useless. If you can only see the future up through where people's current decisions play out with no unintended mishaps, you can only see like 10 minutes in the future if nothing goes wrong. That's useless. I mean, we do see Alice's future telling be pretty useless a lot of the time. (laughs) So that would support your argument. (laughs) She spends, especially in like Breaking Dawn, she spends all this time looking and just like not finding anything. Yeah, like it's a it's a truly underdeveloped. I even like used that logic. I was like, you know, she must have been like looking at this party so many times to be like, yeah. how's Bella gonna take this? What's right? How's this gonna go? And at no point was there ever like, oh, there could be this moment where the entirety of our family where falls the whole apart. party falls apart. Right. There, it m- makes no oh. sense to me that she wouldn't see that. This reminds me from my research. I found something about oh my this. God. Of course. It was something like, why was Alice willing to leave along with everybody else? Uh, and it was kind of like, okay, one, everybody owes Edward because he's had to move on their behalf. Um, but also, Alice could still only see futures where Edward gave up and decided to go back to Bella and they go back to like happy family life. So Alice is like, oh, it's fine. I'll leave and we'll be back in like a year, whatever. But that also makes no sense because Edward's current decision is leave Bella forever. So how can she see a future where he has changed his mind and returned to Bella? Her world building is completely ineffective. You're correct. Yeah, you're right. You're correct. I'm not fighting you on it. (laughs) So Alice is throwing this party, but Bella doesn't want to go. So the compromise is first. Can I just say that these whole exchanges where Bella's like, I don't want any presents. I don't want any presents. Don't give me any presents. I'm just like, girlfriend, get the fuck over yourself. (laughs) Okay. Getting presents from your parents has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not your boyfriend's going to change you into a vampire. So just accept a nice goddamn camera. Okay, girlfriend. I think she goes over the top. I do think that her point about, so part of that is wrapped up in being sort of insecure and kind of uncomfortable with Edward and the Collins having just like unlimited money that they don't think about very hard and I do think it's relatable that she's like uncomfortable being given a bunch of stuff to me that's a relatable feeling like I in high school never had my own car so I was always getting rides from other people and like it was minor and people I don't think minded but I always just like felt like a mooch you know I had a girl who, like, 
she lived right across the street from the school. We were friends. And so I would go over to her house a lot when my mom wasn't able to pick me up. And I always like joked about being a mooch because mm-hmm. I felt a little uncomfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And then one day she was like, yeah, you are a mooch. <gasps> uh, how dare she? What? Her name was Mackenzie. Mackenzie, I you, still Mackenzie. have a problem with you. This is also the girl um, who her house your- was ginormous and she tried to tell me that her family was lower middle class and I was like well I live in a tiny apartment across the river and the reason I'm here is because my mom can't afford to not work to come pick me up the way your mom doesn't work so to be almost fair to Mackenzie America lies about class to us our entire life so you know it's true (laughs) um but also I have a problem with her but I just want to bring this back though to the fact that she still is like mom dad Actually, right. no, Charlie, Renee, don't give me <laughs> shit. And I'm like, girlfriend, so unreasonable of you. Also, yeah, as a yeah, if her problems I, with the Cullens, then her parents should be able to get her stuff. Friend. Yeah, totally. And I mean, like, I don't know if this is just coming back to me as a teenager, always being like, no, guys, my birthday isn't a big deal. And then being really upset when, guess what? No one made a big deal out of it because I said oh. it wasn't a big deal. <laughs> I can't even imagine you telling anyone that your birthday wasn't a big deal. I had to be cool. Absolutely imagine that. It was in exactly the voice she just did. Like, no, guys. guys, No, it's not a big deal. Guys, stop. Like, don't stop. Like, don't stop. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Oh, it's the worst. They stopped. At least Bella Bella doesn't lie about it. (laughs) I wonder why Bella doesn't just like ask alice for financial advice like hey i'm uncomfortable with all the money you guys spend on me can you maybe (laughs) tell me how to invest (laughs) she's only 18 okay (laughs) true true she's only now just old enough to start investing so they the compromise is that they go to Bella's house before the party to watch Romeo and Juliet. God damn it. Um Edward says, <laughs> you know, I've never had much patience with Romeo. Bella responds, What's wrong with Romeo? Until I'd met Edward, I'd sort of had a thing for him. <laughs> what? How could you have a thing for Romeo? Yeah, like, uh, it's like the least (laughs) relatable story. It's like a very distant, like, nobody has a thing for Romeo. No one has a thing for Romeo. No. Ever. Also, like. Maybe for Leonardo DiCaprio. Maybe. But not Romeo. And yet, I just feel like she's not watching the Leonardo DiCaprio version. No, she said specifically that she was watching the old one. It's just uh, truly tragic. We get a glorious moment that was so shocking that I had to text the group about it <laughs> in all caps. <laughs> They're watching the movie. Bella's crying because you know, it's so beautiful. It's just so beautiful. So sad. Edward guys. says, I'll admit, I do sort of envy him here. Edward said, drying the tears with a lock of my hair. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a thing that's not a thing I can't think of anything less absorbent <laughs> than hair 
even just like wiping the tears just wipe away, it away with, with it. your thumb. Right. Like be a normal ass vampire who's not a human. He just has no idea how to blend in. Like I'm on the like... day to day. My favorite part was when you texted us and you asked us to guess. Like, just guess what did you guess what? Yeah. Ears with. You said guess, and at first I was like, wait, doesn't he just, like, wipe it off and lick it? And I can't remember if that's real no, that or was, not. that was in Twilight. Is that in Twilight? Yeah. And then I, like, had, like, a brain blast. Like, it just, like, came to me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's her hair. <laughs> Should that be the episode title? Brain blast, colon, it's her it's hair. Her- <laughs> <laughs> I love it. What did Melissa guess? I guessed his tongue. Ew, yeah you were i said gross but good guess but like i was very purposefully guessing something absurd right i was yeah. like oh it's got to be something stupid yeah and then we get a really important just like piece of plot information that's gonna set us up later edward's like oh yeah i mean i don't envy him because of the girl like she's pretty but she's not as pretty as you i envied how easy it was for him to kill himself because if I like, ever had to live without you, it it's going to be hard for me to figure out how to die. I'll do it, but it'll be hard. Yeah, this whole thing is <gasps> truly very disturbing. Yes. He says that this is something that he's thought about before. First of all, he's like kind of blasé about it. He's very blasé about it. And she asks what he means. And he says that last spring when she was injured... And he was facing the possibility of life without Bella. He was thinking about, quote unquote, contingency plans. Um, and yeah, again, Blase Lee says that he was thinking about how he might be able to kill himself because he doesn't want to live without Bella. And I just think this as a treatment of suicidal thoughts is very unrealistic, very hurtful. Because it presents it. It's so problematic because it presents it as... Yeah. Um, You know, it's like a solution that Edward in his rational mind thinks through in response to a situation that happens instead of it being at all connected to his mental health, his mental state. um, It's not connected to. You know, it's like presented as like the logical thing for a man in love. Right. Like, oh well, of course. Without you, I would do this. Would like, what live. else would I be doing? Right. right. As we talk in the context of him, like thinking Romeo was stupid. Right, because he does it so poorly, and it it just yeah, it's a it's a very irresponsible portrayal of this. Where you know this is not something that you think about in your rational mind. This is an irrational solution that comes when you're like literally mentally ill and you know you have a lot of other things going on personally and health related and it's not just like something happens in your life and then that is a thought that occurs to you it's not a contingency plan right yeah and yeah I, I think it's very irresponsible and it's basically what this entire book is hinged on it reminds me a lot of what made me stop watching Glee. Mm. Um, I probably should have quit watching Glee before this, but it was the episode where they were like hanging out on the roof and Mr. Shu was like, I went to this high school 
and I got a bad grade on a test one time. And I came up to this roof and I almost ended it all right here, but I didn't. And it's just like, fuck you, one, sir. Like, <laughs> this is just like not the proper, like, sensitive way to be discussing suicide like right. offhand I got a, a bad grade on a test right and, and so course... I came up here and almost killed myself and everyone who kills themselves who dies by suicide like you know clearly has such frivolous reasons like myself right like, exactly like of course events in your life affect you but they are not the sole cause of suicidal thoughts yeah and it so, enforces, like Maya brought up already, the sort, well, both of you, um, just like the concept of being incomplete without the person that you love. It's right. also it's really like the insidious nature of the fact that they're like presented as soulmates and they can't be whole without each other. Right. It's like, well, if I can't be with you on this plane, Edward talks a lot about like, you know, I don't believe that I could go to heaven, but. I would hope that wherever I go, like you would be there, right? like justifying these thoughts in this way. Mm -hmm. It's very gross. We learn about the Volturi a little more, um, just that that was Edward's plan. Dropped in also. Oh yeah, just a little sprinkle of them. Just while they're watching Romeo and Juliet, he's just like, oh, the Volturi. Well, and it sets up that perhaps the only way to be destroyed is to provoke the Volturi who are like the police and have the power to destroy a vampire, which is very hard to do. Is it ever explained how the Volturi get their information? I don't know. Like, if we think back to life and death and this idea that Bo could never tell his family what really happened to him because then the Volturi would like come kill how how do right, they know how would they know about it they're whispering who are these were... who are Bo's parents gonna tell that it's gonna birds. get back to the Volturi their whisper network it doesn't make any sense nothing okay, makes so sense finally they head to the Collins for this party that Bella doesn't want to have yeah, I want to say um, one more thing, which is that Charlie comes home with a box of pizza and he says, I thought you'd like a oh, break yeah. from cooking and washing dishes for your birthday. And I was like, mm, you. or like, you could Thanks. just do that stuff for her in general because she's your child. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> totally. Um, and we get more like uh, telling, not showing of uh, Bella's relationships with all of them. Uh, she claims that Edward, at uh, that Emmett, in many ways, was, like, the big brother she'd always wanted, except then also we find out that Emmett and Rosalie have been Away. in, like, Africa for all of the summer, so I don't know how she knows anything about Emmett. It's very sweet, though, because they are back for her birthday, and Edward says Emmett wanted to be here. It's like, oh, he, Adorable. you know, flew back from Africa for her birthday. <laughs> we don't know where they we were in Africa. It. Just but Africa. as we know, all of Africa is a monolith, and it's, it's all the same. Doesn't make a difference. Uh, that was sarcasm, in case any listeners didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah. um, and then... I'm black, listeners. <laughs> Just for so you know. Just so you know. We do um, get that Charlie and Alice are friends, which I love. Yeah. It's true, joyful. Right, like we could have seen all this happen and we didn't get to. Like, oh. That's why I had to go find the fan fiction. 
Yeah, it's true. That's so true. true. This true. is why fan fiction thrived because Stephanie never showed us any of this <laughs> shit. It's true. Um. Okay, and then the pivotal moment occurs where she is opening gifts. And wait, Bella... wait, wait. You missed okay, something ahead. amazing, right, which is ahead. the description of the party. <laughs> so they get to the house. A long line of glowing Japanese lanterns hung from the porch eaves, reflecting a soft radiance, blah, blah, blah. Big bowls of flowers, pink roses lined the wide stairs up to the front doors. Um, they're all in the living room. Alice, I had assumed, had covered every flat surface with pink candles and dozens of crystal bowls filled with hundreds of roses. There was a table with a white cloth draped over it next to Edward's grand piano, holding a pink birthday cake, more roses, a stack of glass plates, who, who, what, more than one I plate? Know. What? Right. I noticed that too. <laughs> and a small pile of silver wrapped presents. It sounds so ugly. <laughs> and also not like Bella at all. Like if Allison's supposed to be her best friend, why is it all pink and roses? Okay, if Alice is supposed to be her best friend, why is she throwing her a birthday party in the first place? I know. It's so true. I understand yes, Alice like being her friend Bella. and throwing her a party even when she doesn't want one, but you'd think it would be like a Bella party. Right. That's because like, the I mean, party isn't for Bella. Maybe Alice has had par- has had friends like Melissa who lie about what they want. From okay, her. but Alice knows what they want because she sees the future. I know it's true, Makes but sense. also just like dozens of crystal bowls filled right. with nothing but pink roses, just it's a party all for over Alice. the place. Sounds yes, it's really a party ugly. for Alice. It's a party for Alice. <laughs> but you would think Alice would have better taste. I know. I know. Okay, go on, Olivia. You're walking us through what happens. Okay, so then the pivotal event happens where Bella is opening gifts. She slides her finger under the wrapping paper and gives herself a paper cut, which is not good when you're surrounded by a bunch of vampires. And Jasper, who has been established many, many, many times as the weakest, newest vampire, lunges at her. Edward, in response, throws her her (laughs) against said table that Maya just described which is covered in crystal plates and she truly like gashes open her entire arm on some glass Stephanie's descriptions throughout the series can get pretty graphic and this was another one where I was like ugh there's multiple times like my worst sentences in one of these even (laughs) from her wrist to the crease inside my elbow which, like, makes you cringe even that a bit more. So, then, chapter two, stitches. Um, everybody freaks out except for Carlisle. Carlisle, obviously, is literally a surgeon, so he's fine. Everybody else has to, like, run out. Esme is like, oh, I'm so sorry, but she has to leave. Edward tries to stay and just doesn't breathe. Um, and eventually, Alice and Edward also have to leave so that Carlisle can take care of her. Which he... I think is just so weirdly juxtaposed considering like the last chapter of Twilight is that, you know, she's like bleeding to death on the ground and they're all like, we'll, we'll put up with this because we love you. I don't know. And now they're like, oh, she got a cut and now we can't handle it. Well, I feel like maybe in Twilight they have like all this adrenaline. I know they don't have adrenaline, but there is a lot going on and they had like stuff to distract them. Like they had to like build the fire and destroy (laughs) James. Um, 
But Edward literally tasted her blood. Yeah, had, exactly. Like, suck blood out of her and then not kill her, and he succeeded. But also in this case, he doesn't leave the room because he can't handle being around her blood. He's doing fine, but they they can tell that he's suffering, and they're yeah, like, "Look, go talk to Jasper. Yeah, he's he's gonna be feeling bad. You need to like be there for him right now." And Edward's like, "Ugh, fine." So I have seen, this is not my own original thought, but other people I've heard comment that they kind of wish that Edward had actually done more. I feel like this event is kind of pinned on Jasper, even Mm -hmm. though it is Edward who kind of like reacts poorly um, and causes it to be worse than it already is. But I've seen people say that it might be more narratively, narratively satisfying if Edward were actually the one to hurt bella in some like tangible way that would be really interesting i'm trying to think through like the ramifications later on when he decides to come back right but also i mean you guess it wouldn't actually one by accident yeah and it wouldn't actually have to be that different later on because after the events of new moon he doesn't really struggle that much with the scent of Bella's blood because he's like look once I thought you were dead once and felt that pain the pain of like resisting your blood is truly just like meaningless to me and so even if it were his fault that she gets hurt like he could come back later and not have it really change the plot because he's like yeah well I thought you died and now I don't care about your blood so (laughs) yeah that would be interesting non-blood related it could be you know he talks all the time about how he could just not be gentle enough with her her. and injure her in some way he could be like come on bella take the present and like shove it into her hand and like bend her wrist weird yeah it could be anything (laughs) 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 but i just i think that's really interesting because i do feel like this is i i mean it's a dramatic event but she is okay yeah. And the whole book is hinged on the way that Bella is injured in this scene. And it might be more like emotionally um, affecting if it if Edward was sort of more directly related in some yeah, way. Yeah, I can see it that. It would also give more credence to Jacob's arguments later on that sure. Bella should be with him over Edward. It's like, right. okay, but like, I'm not Edward's just saying fine. Edward might hurt you. Right. I, he did like, hurt you he did hurt you already right Right. and then sort of like forgiving edward for a mistake that he made is sort of more emotionally involved and like we could have a moment where they're back together and bella's trying to act like everything's fine but like edward lifts his hand quickly or something and bella flinches and they both know that it happened Mm -hmm. (sighs) teenage me would have loved that right oh my gosh so you it's guys, just let's sort write of an some fan fiction. <laughs> let's write fan fiction. We really should. I don't um, okay. So Carlisle stitches her up. Um, they get to talking um, about sort of Edward's guilt and soul. his. Yes, talk and about So Edward really doesn't want to turn Bella into a vampire and she really wants to be one. And they start to talk about that. And you find out that Carlisle thinks it's because Edward believes that they don't have souls. 
Which I think is a very important revelation, right? Because Mm -hmm. up until this point, you're just like, dude, get over it. Like, yeah, I guess mortality is cool. But like also living forever with your soulmate is cool. So like, And she's already made up her mind. Right. But then when you get to like, yo, he believes that he literally doesn't have a soul. And that turning you into a vampire would remove your soul. Then you're like, oh, Oh. shit. (laughs) Which kind of happens to Bella, too why he's so brooding and emo all the time mm-hmm. like but it, it does also give like an air of drama like oh my god you're right he would be taking away her soul <laughs> and at I... first bella doesn't care bella's like okay but that's my decision and carlisle's like okay imagine it from his point of view if things were switched and she's like hmm i'm stumped <laughs> <laughs> right uh, there's a moment when they're having this discussion where uh, Bella is basically like, okay, but like, do you believe this stuff? And Carlisle says, I'm hoping that there's still a point to this life, even for us. It's a long shot, I'll admit. By all accounts, we're damned regardless, but I hope maybe foolishly that we'll get some measure of credit for trying. So he's saying like, you know, even though I would feel physically better if I drank human blood. I know in my heart that it's the wrong thing to do. And I know that I can like serve people through this skill that I have. And I hope that in, in the grand scheme of things, I'll get some kind of credit for that, which is all well and great. But what does he mean by, by all accounts, we're damned regardless. I highlight it, like, Carla, what are you talking about? And he I think also he means by, can... like, sorry, I thought he just meant, like, you know, according to, like, literally everyone, we are not supposed to be around. We're, like, the incarnate of sin or whatever, you know, from 400 years ago back when he was alive. Like, there's no one that's, like, oh, yeah, these dead people, they're they're gonna do fine you know like everyone is always like they're yeah they're like damned forever but like he definitely pins it ultimately on something outside of his himself though he's not saying that he does that because he knows that it's right or for the sake of humanity he does say that he thinks he'll get some measure of credit right yeah like damned in this context seems to mean like you know theologically damned right like in a hell when kind this of way. life ends right. by all accounts we'll go to hell anyway right. but i hope i still get some measure of credit and i'm like what like who do you know that has gone to hell and reported back like you're damned regardless <laughs> i think he just means like it just for all of the accounts of everything he's ever been taught in his life right they do seem like contradictory statements but um and then we suddenly get um, like a more detailed account of Edward's death because Carlisle starts to talk about how he isn't sure if he regrets turning the other people in his family. Um, but we hear about the Spanish influenza, very topical, and how his Edward's mother was dying and seemed to kind of know that Carlisle had something else going on with him and asked for him to help Edward. And he knew that Edward was going to die anyways. This scene was the birth of so many fan fiction. (laughs) We get that, like, his last name was Mason. Yeah, he had green eyes. Green Green eyes. eyes. (laughs) I learned a little bit about this from my Stephanie Meyer research. 
Uh, somebody asked Smyre, like, okay, but did Edward's mom actually know that Carlisle was a vampire? What was happening there? And the answer, according to Stephanie, isn't that she knew that Carlisle was a vampire, but she was very perceptive and had been watching him and did sense that he was supernatural in some way. Which, maybe like an angel. Maybe like an angel. Who's to say? But she she sensed that he was otherworldly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that it really adds that much to the reading experience to know that piece of information, but it's kind of an interesting tidbit. Well, it's he kind is of really hot. Carla, he's otherworldly hot. He's otherworldly hot. Um, it sort of absolves Carlisle in a way yeah. because she asks him she to asks, do everything yeah. he can. And so that's what he does. Right. And Edward um, is a minor and this is his mother. Right. That's true. <laughs> he got parental consent. Um, and then we get a some description of like just how like good and pure Edward was and how Carlisle could tell this about him already and it kind of goes back to an earlier paragraph where Carlisle's like I look at my son his strength his goodness the brightness that shines out of him and it only fuels the hope the faith more than ever the hope that like there's an afterlife and he says how could there not be more for one such as Edward And I was just really struck by the fact that we don't get to see that side of Edward. This, like, goodness, this brightness. Like, we only see, like, the strength, like, the physical restraints that he has. But we never see... Yeah, we never see, like, true generosity. Yeah, he's not really, like, like, nice to other people. Yeah, we see him paying people off. (laughs) Like... And, like, but making like, fun of all the other humans right. in their class. Yeah, we never see him, like, going out of his way to, like, make somebody's life better. With the exception of not being a murderer and killing humans, which right. is, like, the same as all the other Cullens. Right. <laughs> Just basic human decency. Um, and... and then we see Bella and Edward after she's totally stitched up. Um, just kind of, uh, like self guilt at each other it's quite interesting um it's so bella blamed herself obviously for this event even though that makes no sense because she's clearly the victim here and edward obviously is like drowning in self-hate here he says bella you gave yourself a paper cut that hardly deserves the death penalty and she says it's still my fault doesn't make any sense i wrote uh give it a rest (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> then he dragged we talking Mike about Mike it. Newton yeah oh, because yeah. he's like lamenting that if she had more normal human friends this kind of thing would never happen to her uh Bella says she'd rather die than be with Mike oh, Newton again poor fucking Mike Newton poor Mike doing? I hope he's happily married now I hope so too he's probably running the store Probably still holding that candle for Bella. (laughs) All right. And then honestly, like, what else happens? They are moody together. Edward comes over her house. And they kind of are, like, weird together. Right. She has a premonition. She has a, quote-unquote, silly premonition that tomorrow is going to be even worse. Which, well. It is. It is. (laughs) It certainly is. 
I did uh, underline um, it was a silly premonition. Me too. Um, because also, I was like, I've never in my life, like, thought that about any of my own, like, feelings. Like, it must be a silly oh, I feel, like, kind of weird. I'm like, oh, it must be a silly premonition. <laughs> yeah, this comes back to, we definitely talked in Twilight about how she has so many dreams that end up coming true. And that right. comes to nothing when she becomes a vampire. Spoiler. Which doesn't Absolutely make anything. Comes to literally nothing. Again, her world building, subpar. And they're, like, <laughs> at Bella's house in the bed... And I think that we should note that they kiss and it's like a kind of more intense kiss than they're both used to. Mm -hmm. And it reminds Bella of what their kiss was like when Edward was saying goodbye because she was being tracked. Mm -hmm. And so she has like something behind this silly premonition. But I mean, I just want to say that if I had a month with Edward Cullen, I would have figured out a way to, like, get past this whole, like, we can only, like, press our lips together. Okay, this also is answered by the lexicon. I also noted very early, I think in chapter one somewhere, somewhere um, she refers to his venom-coated teeth, which doesn't make sense because if you have venom because you're a predator, it doesn't just... It doesn't hang out (laughs) on your teeth. It has to come out of your fangs at a specific time. And didn't Stephanie say somewhere that the reason that they don't, that spit has venom in it and so they can't make out? Yes. She says that like all of their bodily fluids, well, she's very like careful with how she phrases it, but she's like most of the bodily fluids are completely (laughs) replaced with venom nothing's left they don't cry they don't pee except for the stuff that makes babies no that that must have venom okay i guess it doesn't make a baby yeah it doesn't have venom according to stephanie meyer and the thing i read on the lexicon but it's literally the stupidest thing in the whole wide world that somehow venom replaces every bodily fluid except for sperm again give it a rest stephanie also she did never really fully explain periods she like i remember one time saying that like your blood from your period is dead yeah she said that on the lexicon so it's not like appealing right but i'm like but any blood that exits your body then well she was like it's sort of dead blood if you know what i mean which like (laughs) I don't don't. know what you mean, but I'm, like, kind of with you. But she's, like, it would make Edward a little more uncomfortable, but he's, like, too much of a gentleman to ever say anything. And Bella would be too embarrassed to ask. And I was, like, okay, but a paper cut blew this whole thing apart. Right. Yeah, that part makes no sense. Like, if Jasper can't handle himself around a paper cut, how can he handle himself around her period? Makes no sense. Around, like... A high All school the, full of menstruating teenage school. girls. Right. <laughs> Never mind Bella. A high school full of menstruating girls. No sense. It doesn't track. Whatever. Oh, we've established that nothing makes sense ever. We're suspending right. our disbelief. And That's as far as we're getting. That's yeah. Um, and now we quit. <laughs> best sentence, worst sentence. Best sentence, worst sentence. I have a worse sentence. Worse. It's right near the beginning. She's describing what she thinks is her grandmother, but really it's herself. Mm-hmm. 
The skin was soft and withered, bent into a thousand tiny creases that clung gently to the bone underneath. It started yep. okay, and I, like, get what she's going for, but she's not... I mean, I guess she's trying to describe something unpleasant because Bella's, like, so mad about being old. But at this point, it's grand, and it's just a very unpleasant way to describe, like, a pleasant person. Yeah. My worst sentence is also poorly described um, bodily things. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have to find it. Worst sentence. It's also, like, a combo. It's like the sentence is worse in combo with the sentence that comes after it. (laughs) It's where Carlisle is like treating her um, after she's sliced open her arm. Um, Okay, yeah. So... So she's, like, talking about her arm in, like, a very sort of detached way, I understand, so that she doesn't, like, totally, like, puke or whatever. Um, But the way that she's describing it makes it so much worse. She says, I mulled that over while he poked around, making sure all the glass splinters were gone. Poked around in her arm, FYI. And then the next sentence goes, then he rummaged (laughs) in his bag, though. And I was oh, like, why would you describe poking around in her arm and then immediately go to, then he rummaged. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just immediately disgusting. pictured yeah. rummaging inside her arm yeah. and I like gag. So. Uh, mine is also a body sentence, but it's, <laughs> it's more distant from that. And honestly, it's not even that bad of writing, but in the context of life and death, this sentence became so horrifying to me <laughs> that it's worse sentence worthy. So Carlisle is describing the process of changing Edward into a vampire. And it's actually two sentences. Actually, I'm going to read you the whole short paragraph. Okay. I wasn't sure what had to be done. I settled for recreating the wounds I'd received myself so many centuries earlier in London. I felt bad about that later. It was more painful and lingering than necessary. When I read New Moon around the first time, you know, we don't know that much about the context of Carlisle's wounds, but Corrine, we learn a lot about the injuries that she gets from life and death. And it was horrific. Like anybody that has listened like to the podcast. Tortured. Yeah. Yeah. Like knows that we kind of skipped over what happened because we were like oh, it's just really graphic and hard to read yeah and uh, i didn't read it so you have to kind of tell me what happened i don't it's remember bad. exactly what it. it was but yeah it was it was torture it was messed up oh, uh cool. and so just hearing that like carla did this to edward's like weak <sighs> illness ravaged body is really horrifying I mean, i'm definitely leaning on that stephanie had not put any thought into how Carlo had been changed outside of like no we oh, get the no. we get like, part of it well yeah but nothing like nothing graphic detail as she put in life and death like I definitely no. think she thought about that after it's true. so like ideally um, that was not I will say that it's I do think that their experience of being changed is different because Corrine, the vampire, was, like, getting revenge 
and Carlisle the vampire gets like distracted by other people and moves on from Carlisle so Carlisle probably didn't like truly torture Edward but just in the context of life and death I was like oh yikes right um I'll throw this a best sentence it's not a strong one uh but it's a relatable one how could I let him give me things when I had nothing to reciprocate with just like a very relatable teen girl with a rich boyfriend kind of feeling right especially when she's mostly thinking in context of like that he chooses her even though she's just her like how could she ever I don't like she there's specifically a sentence where she says like anything else that he gives me after that is just tipping things unfavorably and I was just like oh wow I can definitely imagine like little teenage me who like is convinced that you know I'm the averagest girl in the world being like yo he already like just thinks I'm pretty uh what more what more (laughs) what more can there be (laughs) I agree that it's really relatable I have those feelings sometimes and I'm like 26 just and like my boyfriend doesn't have nearly as much money as the Cullens but it's like a lot more than me and you know sometimes I'm like oh no don't don't let let me buy the pizza today (laughs) look I'm contributing even though like you know we adjust the rent so that he pays like three times as much as I do and I'm like I bought a pizza this is equal right it's just relatable any other best Um, sentences yeah mine is gonna be from the preface uh and it's gonna go ahead and be two sentences because I already said one of them As the clock began to toll out the hour, vibrating under the soles of my sluggish feet, I knew I was too late, and I was glad something bloodthirsty waited in the wings. For in failing this, I forfeited any desire to live. It's so dramatic. It's so heightened. Like, her descriptions here are so great. Sluggish feet, something bloodthirsty in the wings. Um, It's just really a great couple senses. Good job, Stephanie. Melissa, got anything? Yeah, mine was actually from the preface, also, like, right after yours. It was just, the clock told again, and the sun beat down from the exact center point of the sky. Also good. Dun, and then, dun, dun. Right, it was just sort of like, dun, dun, dun. shit, we're, like, really hinging on, like, Something's the timing of something happening, and it's, like, probably noon. I don't know, like, this was a moment where she didn't describe, like, a ton of details. Like, she didn't overdo us... it. Right, exactly. I was like, yep. oh, that's, that's perfect. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Next week, I think we will. We haven't um, totally decided. We're either going to read chapter three or chapter three and four. It's kind of long, so we'll feel it out. Feel free to read ahead with us. As always, thanks for Write joining us. us. Fan mail, yeah. also. Listeners, yes, thank you for the fan mail. And please continue to write in. If you don't know what to say, Uh, just writing in and telling us how you found the podcast would be really helpful so that we know where to like double down our efforts so that we can continue to reach people um friends you can always email us we are clearly obsessed with ourselves and want more fan mail at twilightpodcast at gmail.com you can also follow us at twilight underscore phase on twitter and instagram and we are twilight phase podcast on tumblr disclaimer we own nothing the Twilight Universe and all characters belong only to Stephanie Meyer. Please don't sue us. Audio editing by Maya Marlette. Cover image by Laura Shermer. Our theme music is written and performed by Adrian Morin.
we'll be back next week. And if you don't like it, you can bite me with your venom-soaked teeth. Coated. <laughs> They're coated. Venom-coated teeth. Okay, bye. Love you guys. Bye. bye. bye.